Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you. If you are a guest, glad that you're here with us this morning to worship Christ. We're going to be in John chapter 9 as we continue through this series, Believe and Live. And John chapter 9 is a long chapter, 41 verses. We're going to cover all 41 verses. So focus, get in here, because it's a great chapter. It's an amazing chapter about what happens, but also it's extremely practical to you and I. And so uh, we're going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to unpack it and see what Christ would say to us through uh, his word today. So like I said, long chapter, focus as we walk through it. It's, it's a good chapter. We'll start here in verse 1. So follow along with me. It says, as he passed by, and that's speaking of Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man that was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it, was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. All right, let me pause here for just a second. This is important because this is the, the miracle that happens. A man that was born blind, Jesus allows him to see. He opens his eyes that he can see again. Now from here on out, here through the rest of the chapter, you're going to see everybody's response to this miracle that Jesus did. And what's fascinating is that you only see one person celebrate, one person praise God for this amazing miracle. So let's look at all these different responses and then let's look at the challenge that God would have for our hearts to worship him. So look in verse 8. The neighbors, those who had been around the city, right? The neighbors and those that had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Another said, no, but, but it's like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how now are your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus. He made mud and he anointed my eyes and he said, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, okay, where is he? And he said, I, I do not know. And here's the, how the neighbors respond. Now in verse 13, you see how the Pharisees, the religious leaders respond. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made mud and opened his eyes to so the Pharisees again asked how he had received his sight. And he said to him, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man's not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such sign? And so there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's, he's a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had received sight. And they asked him, is this your son who you say has been born blind. How does he now see? 
Now you see the parents' response. They answered, we know this is our son, and he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, the parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, which means tell the truth, swear on this. He said, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples also? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, oh, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard of anyone who opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? They cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, they said, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him. And is he who's speaking to you? He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say we see and your guilt remains. Pray with me. Lord, we pray today asking that you would help us to see and as we see you, worship you. Some of us have, have never tasted and seen that you're good, but you invite us to do that. Your word calls us to taste and see that you're good. So help us to see your goodness today. Some of us um, have seen your goodness and yet have become apathetic to praising you because of suffering or pain in our lives. And I ask you, Lord, today that you would help us to remember and see you. Help us to remember that you care for us. And Lord, in the haze of our apathy, Lord, would you show us every grace that we've lost our fight to see. Lord, open our eyes today, we pray. Now let me invite you in this moment of silence to pray that God would open your eyes that you would see Christ more clearly or for the first time today through John chapter 9. Pray that right now.
pray also for me as we look at this amazing passage, this amazing miracle in the life and the history of Christ in this world, that I would be able to show God's goodness clearly to us through his word. So pray for me now too. Lord Jesus, these words were written that we would believe that you are the Christ and that by believing we would have life in your name. And so Lord, help us to see and to believe and find life in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so large passage, 41 verses, but it all comes down to the end when we look at this man's response, right? The Gospel of John was written that we would believe and in believing we would find life. And here this whole story happens and at the end you see this man look at Jesus and say, you are the Lord and I believe. And he worshipped him. He worshipped him. This is what it's all about, that he worshipped him. Now it's interesting, like I said, all these different responses, nobody stops to praise God, nobody stops to worship Jesus in this moment except for this man. And as he does, as he worships Jesus, Jesus accepts it. Did you see that? He accepts this worship. He doesn't say, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that here. Like, we don't do that. No, he, he accepts it. And that's what happens this moment because Jesus is God and is worthy of all of our worship, of all of our life. Jesus is worthy of it. Like, in this passage, when it says he worshiped him, I don't think that means that he broke out in a worship service like we're doing right now and worshiped and praised Jesus. I think there was something that happened in his heart. Probably something that was on his lips as he spoke to Christ, for sure. But he worshiped him. And this passage is inviting us to do the very same thing. That we would read John chapter 9 and we would see who Jesus is and what he has done and we would worship him. You see, all of John chapter 8, everything we've done over the last three weeks looking through John chapter 8 has led to John chapter 9. You see, John chapter 8, Jesus has been giving the lectures. He's been telling, guys, listen up. This is who I am. I am God. He said, I am the light of the world. You remember that? John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. I have come into darkness that men will be able to see and believe. And he even used the illustration of the temple and the, the, the candles that were in the background, right, during the Feast of Booths. Jesus like, I'm the light of the world. So he's preaching, he's teaching, and he's using illustrations. And then he even says, hey, those of you that are thirsty, come to me, and I will give you the water of life, right? If you're thirsty, come to me. And he even had an illustration for that. That was going on during the Feast of Booths. And then if they didn't get it to that point, at the end of John chapter 8, he's like, guys, if you missed everything else, don't miss this. I am the great I am. I was here before Abraham was even here. It's all about me because I am God coming into the world to rescue and redeem. And so John chapter 8 has been like the lecture. John chapter 9 is kind of the lab, the living out the practical way. Jesus said, I am God. And then in John chapter 9, he's going to show us how he is God who is worthy to be worshipped. So three points for us today to understand why we should worship Jesus. Why is Jesus worthy of the worship of our life? And first, he is worthy of our worship because he's attentive to our suffering. He's attentive to our suffering. Now you might be scratching your head being like, man, that's not where I thought we were going to start with like why we should worship Jesus. But that's where John chapter 9 starts. Look at verse 1. 
as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus noticed this man. Now, look in verse 1 what we know about him. This man has been blind from birth. And he, he, he's been sitting out there, he's, he's begging, he's asking. I mean, he's somebody since a child has been dependent and, and has been begging and asking for things. I mean, people in this town, the neighbors would have known this, this child as, a, as an infant and as a toddler, toddler and as a, as a youth and now as an adult. They would have seen him his whole life. And I don't know if it's the exact spot, but he probably sat somewhere in the same vicinity pretty often. And you and I know when we see something over and over, day after day, sometimes we just become kind of numb to it, right? We see it and it doesn't tug on our hearts anymore. And Jesus could have responded like many of us may have responded or many of the neighbors in that city responded and just, oh, that's a guy that's been blind from birth. Let's just keep walking. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus stops And he sees this man blind from birth. This is a really big deal. I mean, think about this. This story, this moment in history never would have happened had Jesus not seen his pain and his suffering and stopped there. Do you realize that? I mean, many of us, if if you've been around the church for a while, we kind of start in verse 2 where the disciples are asking questions. But if it wasn't for verse 1, if it wasn't for Christ being attentive to a man's pain and suffering, then we never would have had the rest of this whole story. And yet Jesus notices him and leans into his pain because he's attentive to it. Now this is really important. This is really important not just to this man but to us. Because I know without a doubt that there are people in this room or even watching online who are hurting right now. You have loneliness in your heart. You have pain. You have suffering. And you're thinking, man, nobody even notices it. Maybe the friend that you came with today, they don't even know what's going on. Your spouse might not even know what's going on in your heart. You have this sense of pain and suffering. And what you need to realize is that God and his power and his omniscience and his mercy sees it and is attentive to your pain and your suffering. You need to be encouraged that maybe nobody else knows or you think nobody else cares. God cares. God cares. Jesus cares about the pain and the suffering in your life. I love how Psalm chapter 56 verse 8 describes it. David is writing this psalm and he's going through pain and suffering in his life. And this is what he says. Speaking to God, he says, You have kept count of my tossing. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? What he's saying in that moment is that our God is attentive to our suffering and our pain. He cares. He notices when nobody else notices. He says, You've kept count of my tossing in Psalm 56. What What does that mean? When he was laying in bed at night, filled with anxiety or filled with pain, and he can't go to sleep and he's tossing in his bed, God is literally counting how many times he turns over and tosses. Because God cares about him. God loves him. And then it says, you put all of my tears in your bottle. Literally that God has counted every one of the tears that David has shed. And he counts your tears as well because he is attentive to your suffering. God cares. And then it says, are they not in your book? He uses this image almost like God is, has a journal. 
And God is writing out the pain and the suffering in your life because he sees and he knows it's there. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, nobody cares about the pain and suffering in my life. Nobody cares about me. Then you need to hear the truth today that God cares. That God sees your tossings. He sees your tears. And he cares. He cares for you. He cares about your pain. So two points of application with this truth that we find in this passage. First, let us worship Jesus Christ by resting in this truth that God cares. May we worship Jesus by resting in this truth that God cares. He is not going to turn a blind eye to your suffering. And we're going to see here in just a second that, that God sees our suffering and he's not apathetic. He doesn't do anything about it. It's not like he's back here saying, I'm not going to do anything about it. No, he's involved. He's going to redeem and remove that suffering for those that believe and trust in him. So let us worship him by resting in that truth. Second, for us that are believers and followers of Christ, let us worship Jesus by seeing and helping those who are hurting. Let us worship Jesus, and the way that we worship him is not just in song, it's not just in giving, but it's by seeing those who are hurting and helping them. Did you see what Jesus said in verse 4? He says, we must work the works of him who sent me. He doesn't say, hey guys, listen up, I'm going to do some great works, just watch me and then we'll move on. No, he's like, hey, listen up guys, I'm about to do something. Look at this man who's in suffer, suffering and pain. I'm going to do something, but this is something that we have to do, that we collectively do. We look at those who are suffering and pain and we help them. We must work. This is a command. We must work the works of him. So if you're going to say you're a follower of Christ, then worship him by helping those who are hurting. And the people who, who are really hurting, who really have needs, may not look like what you think they should look like. We, we see people in our lives that probably has, have great financial needs that we can help with. There's people in our lives that, that may have, have an outward exterior that looks like it's all put together, but they have deep emotional needs that God has placed you in your life, in their life to help them with. And deeper than all that, there's a deep spiritual need that we find in our world. They need the light of the world. They need the, the, the water that quenches that thirsty soul. They need Christ. And we need to look out in our world and have the eyes of Christ to say, man, who are the hurting people that are in my life that you've called me to serve and to care for? Who are they? Would we be intentional this week to look for those who are hurting and to serve them? And at the same time, let me encourage those who served just this past week at CityServe. This is not the finish line. This is a small glimpse of what it looks like to look in your community and see needs and to help serve them, help care for them. I mean, we, we gave away more than 50 bags and Bibles to local homeless shelters. You, not, not just me, you, you touched the lives of more than 600 essential workers and first responders. 600. We gave more than 220 boxes of food to neighbor, neighborhoods that had needs. This is just the start, but guys, we've got to have our eyes open to reflect what Christ has done for us. He saw us in our great need. He saw us in our spiritual blindness, and he came to help us. He came to open our eyes that we would see his goodness and his glory. 
all that we would do the same for others. That we would do the same for others. So let us worship Christ in those ways. The second reason that we should worship Christ in this text is because he redeems our suffering. He's not just attentive to it. He doesn't just see it. He redeems it. Now, what you find in verse 2 is really interesting. Okay, because I I don't know exactly how this played out, but in verse 1, Jesus sees a man who's blind from birth. And I'm I'm guessing Jesus maybe was walking and kind of stopped and stood there for just a moment and looked at this man. And the disciples kind of following suit stop and they kind of look. And they don't do anything to help the man. The disciples, did you you see that in verse 2? The first thing they do, which we're all tempted to do, is let's move to, instead of helping, let's move to some heady theology. Because it makes us feel better, right? We know more theology. And since we know more theology, this is fantastic. And so they move to saying to Jesus, we're going to sound holy right now. Hey, who sinned? Was it, was it this man? Or was it his parents that he was born blind? Like, oh, Jesus, let's have this good theological discussion. They don't lean in to help this man at all at the beginning. That's a temptation for many of us to look straight in the eyes of need and don't do anything about it. Instead, we just look back and we're like, oh, let's talk about some theological things because that makes us more holy. It makes us feel more holy. And Jesus looks at their, their question, their statement, and it's, it's just wrong. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong theological foundation. It's just it, the whole thing about it is wrong. You see, they, they, they asked the, the two, two, two questions here. Is it this man who sinned that caused this issue or was it his parents? And I love how pastor theologian Tim Keller breaks it down. Basically what they're saying is they're looking at suffering in the world and they're like, which track is it, Jesus? Is it the guilt track or is it the anger track? Like, is this man guilty? Like, did God and all of his sovereignty and his wisdom like kind of foresee the future and knew that this man was going to grow up and by the age of 50, he was going to do all these horrendous sins. And so God from birth was like, punishment. We're just going to punish him right off the bat. Is that what happened? Jesus, tell us, how did God do that? Or maybe it was his parents. Like there's this karma that his parents did something wrong and because of the karma that they had, which karma is not a real thing, it's not a biblical thing, it's not a Christian thing, that their karma kind of poured onto this kid's life and so now he's blind because his parents, which that's the anger track. The anger track is there's got to be somebody else to blame. It's not my fault. Somebody else has got to be to blame out there. Was it my parents? Was it society? Was it this person? Was it that person? Let's blame someone else for this suffering and pain. Or let's blame myself. Let's, let's look at all the guilt and the shame in my life because I've done all these things. So all the suffering and pain is caused because of my individual sin in my life. Now, Jesus hears their question and responds in basically saying, neither of those are right. It's not this man's sin nor his parents' sin that caused this issue. See, they're asking the wrong question. And Jesus looks in this moment and he gives them a direction which they're not even thinking about. And Jesus is like, no, it's not about this man's sin or his parents' sin. In verse 3, there's an important word. It says, but that. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is the redeeming work of God. 
God made the world perfect and good. There's nothing wrong with the world. It even says it's very good. And our sin that came into the world and now this brokenness has filled our world. It's filled our world. And Jesus looks in this moment and he's like, in the midst of this broken world, in the midst of sin that has marred everything, God is going to do something great. He's going to redeem this brokenness that the works of God might be displayed in him, that the glory of God might be seen. And this is so important because if you and I, if we forget that the sin in our, in our world has, has left us in a broken world, we forget that and we forget the truth that Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. He took the suffering in our place that we deserve so that we wouldn't be punished. If we forget those things, we will consistently stay in the guilt track or the anger track. Guilty on us or angry at God or someone else. And Jesus is like, no, your suffering, your pain is not without purpose. Jesus is not going to waste the suffering and pain in your life if you're a believer. He's not going to waste it. But that the works of God might be displayed. Might be displayed. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus is highlighting. Yes, this world is broken. Yes, there is sin in this world. There's individual, there's corporate sin, absolutely. But even in the depths of that darkness, Jesus is going to work. Jesus is going to bring back redemption to this very broken thing that we feel like no good can come out of. And it doesn't just talk about this truth in John chapter 9. It's throughout all of Scripture. When you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you remember this guy named Joseph? I mean, he, he was a good guy. His brother's sold him into slavery, and then he ends up in prison, and then he helps somebody else out and they forget about him and leave him in prison longer. He's accused falsely of raping this girl. All these bad things happen, and it wasn't because of Joseph's sin in his life. It wasn't. And there at the end, when he sits second in command over all of Egypt, his brothers stand before him who had put him in slavery, and he looks at him and he says, what you meant for evil God meant for good. God took what that evil was, not that God created this evil, but he took this evil and he turned good out of it. This is what God does. That's what the book of Genesis is about. But listen up, this is what the whole Bible's about. The whole Bible's this rescue story. This world has been broken and marred and Jesus is like, I'm going down into it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to repair it. I'm going to redeem it. This is what he does. And there is no greater picture of the work of Jesus to fix and redeem this broken world than at the crucifixion, at the cross. I mean, think about this. The only man who was truly innocent, Jesus, all the rest of us are guilty. Everybody else in the history of the world, guilty. But Jesus was truly innocent. And he suffered and took on pain. What we would say is the worst day of human history was shot through with purpose, was shot through with the but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus hangs on the cross and dies to forgive us of our sin. So we don't have to wear this guilt and shame on us of like, oh my goodness, all this is happening because of me. No, Christ took that punishment because of your sin in your place. We don't have to stand there angry at God and saying, why are you allowing all this brokenness to happen? You're not doing anything about it because Jesus is doing something about it. He's there redeeming that. He's using it so that we could see the displayed glory of God through Jesus Christ on that cross. That's what he's doing. And so when we look at this and we read this story, may we worship Christ. 
May we worship Christ by trusting in his redemptive goodness. This is so important. May we worship Jesus by trusting in his redemptive goodness. I truly believe as I look out in the world and as I look in my own heart, the sin that drags us away ultimately is because we do not believe in the goodness of God. We don't. We don't believe that God is really caring for us and loving us. And so when God says no or don't do that, we get mad because we're like, nope, God, you're not ultimately for our good. And that's where sin started, back in the garden, right? Adam and Eve are there, and God has said, don't eat of this tree. And Satan says, did, did God really say that? Like, look at this fruit. This is good. God's trying to keep you from that because he knows if you eat of it, you'll, you'll understand good and evil. So God's holding back for us. He's not really good. He's not really out for your good. And so we're deceived and we believe these lies. We have to worship tangibly and practically trusting in the redemptive goodness of God. Let me say I realize the honesty and the, the reality of this broken world that we're in. And in this moment, there's a redemptive goodness because Jesus literally opens the eyes of this blind man. And so he heals him, and you see the glory of God there. As you turn the pages of Scripture, there are places where Jesus doesn't heal certain people. You find that there's certain times that God doesn't heal. So what is God doing in that moment? The same thing. He's putting his glory forward. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The Apostle Paul, in in one of his letters, he, he writes and he says, there's a thorn in my flesh. I've been praying, God, would you get it out? And we don't know what that is. Not a literal thorn, but it's maybe some suffering in his life or a health issue that he has or a person in his life that's causing pain. We don't know exactly what it is, but he says he prays and he prays and he prays, God, would you fix this pain and this suffering in my life? Just like you fixed it with this blind man. And God responds to him in that moment and he says, no. No, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, there's sometimes the redeeming work of Christ is that he sustains us through suffering. That he's like, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to abandon you in your suffering. I'm going to sustain you as you walk through that difficult time. I'm going to sustain you. I'm not going to pull you out of it. I'm going to walk with you through it. And that's what he does. And Paul says it was to display the glory of God even in his sustaining through suffering. So may we trust in the goodness of God, knowing that he is doing a redemptive work. And for those of us that have trusted in Jesus, that have seen him as Lord, we know that this redemptive work that he started, even if he says not yet, even if he's sustaining us through the hard times, we know as believers that one day he's going to remove that pain. One day he's going to remove that suffering. And this should cause us to worship him. We should worship Jesus because he will remove our pain and our suffering. And this is what the rest of John chapter 9 is all about. It's all about. He's removing this man's suffering and healing it. And this, what's so beautiful about this, is this is a glimpse of what is to come for all believers. You see, we look at this moment, we see this man who's born blind and Jesus allows him to see. This is what the future looks like for those that believe. When Christ comes again, he's going to wipe away all these sins. He's going to heal the lame. He's going to open the ears of the deaf. He's going to open up the eyes of the blind. There will be nobody limping in heaven. 
There'll be nobody who is blind in heaven. There's none of that. That is what's before us. And so we can worship and praise him because of what he will do. He's working in this moment now. Yes, he's redeeming. But there's one day he will completely remove all of our pain and our suffering. This moment was such a powerful moment. Such a powerful moment that this man who was blind and now sees that even non-Christians were writing about it at the time of Jesus. I mean, historians at that time were writing being like, man, I don't know what happened, but there was this man who was blind and now he sees because it gave them hope in that moment. Historian Josephus talked about it. He's like, I don't understand how this happened, but there was a man who was blind and now he sees. Everybody confirms it. You see, because this is what we long for. This is what we hope for. We see all the brokenness in this world and we're like, God, when? He's like, it's coming. It's coming. I'm going to remove all this pain and this suffering. And he can do it because he is the almighty God. He can do it because he's the almighty God. And this is what this man starts to see and believe in this moment. So as he's brought before the, the Pharisees for the second time, this man stands here and he confesses before him. He's like, man, God doesn't listen to sinners and this guy did this amazing work. How did this happen? And then in verse 32, I love verse 32. He says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He's like, guys, look around. Search the history books. It's never happened. This has never happened. It hasn't even happened today. Like, even our best hospitals can't do this work that was done in this moment. And what I find fascinating is this man makes the claim, never since the world began has it been heard of anyone who opened the eyes of a man born blind. And I don't know if it was in his mind or if it was just God's sovereignty to God all this, but it guides my mind back to Psalm 146. Psalm 146, which is a, a song of worship, a song of praise to God. And it says this, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Now think about this for a second. Those of you who have been around church for a little while, Old Testament, anybody that you can think of who was blind from birth and now they can see. I can't think of anybody. I mean, maybe. I, may, I, I can't think of anything in the Old Testament. So why in the world do we have this song of worship and praise in Psalm 146 and it says the Lord opens the eyes of the blind? Wait, it's not even in here. What are you talking about? Jesus, God hasn't opened the eyes of the blind to anybody in the Old Testament. What are you talking about? And I think that's the point. God ultimately knew this day was going to come. And what he's doing is he's showing that Jesus is the Lord. That Jesus is God. Nobody's opened the eyes of the blind until this point. Nobody's opened the eyes of a man born blind. It's never been done. And yet in the Old Testament, they're praising the Lord that he would do it, that this work would happen. And then here we have in John chapter 9, the, the Lord, Jesus, opening a man's eyes who was born blind. Jesus is the Lord. Through his action, he's putting on display who he is. And as he's doing this, he's inviting us to trust in this truth that he will remove all of our pain and suffering because this is just a glimpse it's the trailer of what is to come. I had a professor in seminary who was very similar to this man. He was born, he was born blind. Dr. Logan Carson, there's a picture of him up there. And it's amazing because he would tell us all the time as his students, as he's training pastors and teaching pastors, he's like, 
Man, I pity you guys. I pity all of you guys because I was born blind. And he believed in this truth so much that God was going to redeem and fix all these things that were broken, even those who were born blind. This professor would say, pity you guys because you see things every day. But the first thing that I'm ever going to see is the face of Jesus. That's the first thing I'm ever going to see. Because he believed in this truth that one day, one day, those that love Jesus, that worship Jesus, that follow Jesus as Lord, would see all of these broken things removed and everything repaired and made new. Church, this should lead us to worship. This is why we sing. This is why we praise. This is why we live for Jesus. Because of these truths. So let me give you two last applications before we take the Lord's Supper. One is let us worship Jesus by trusting Jesus as Lord. Some of us have never taken the step of faith to trust in Jesus Christ, and you need to do that today. He has opened up your eyes to see things today about him, about how he loves you, about how he's working in your life and redeeming your suffering. Now one day if you believe in him, he will remove that. And he's asking you to come and to believe that he is Lord and to trust in him. You see, Jesus wants to give many of you far more than what you're asking him for. Some of you came today not believing in Jesus, but you hope that Jesus will bless you a little bit, right? You see, this man, this blind man is sitting out there. He's begging for a nickel. And Jesus shows up and has an encounter with him and gives him sight, something he wasn't even asking for. Some of you are hoping that Jesus will just give you a nickel today and bless your job, bless your family, bless your emotions, right? And Jesus is like, that's too small. Now I have something much, much greater for you, that you would come and find salvation, that you find water for a thirsty soul, that you would find sight for a blind man. So would you look to Jesus and believe like this man did through the 2020 vision and worship him? Would you worship him? And for those of us who are believers, may we worship him by opening our mouths. May we worship him by opening our mouths. Think about this. If God has opened our eyes to see him and all of his goodness and all of his glory, if he has allowed us to taste and to see that he is good and he's opened our eyes to see that, we must open our mouths to share that. We cannot hold back the goodness of the gospel because we're afraid or we don't know what to say. Do you realize that this man has been a beggar his whole life? He has no seminary degree. He doesn't have the answers to many of the questions they're asking. Like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I don't know where he is. I don't know who he is. And yet he still stands and gives a testimony of who Jesus is and what he did in his life. You don't have to have all the answers to tell people about Jesus. You don't. And this man takes these small steps of faith forward. Did you see that in verse 11? He, he first, he, he, he's been in this inter- interaction with Jesus, but he's still, he's still struggling. And so he says, Jesus is a man in verse 11. But then he thinks about it a little bit more and he chews on it. And then he, he says in verse 17 that, man, Jesus is a prophet. But then the whole section ends in verse 38 and he's like, no, 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 he's not a man. He's not a prophet. He is Lord and I believe in him and worship him. This is what he's inviting us to share with others. That Jesus is the Lord. Come to open up our eyes that we would see and that we would worship him.
So church, may we stand firmly, even if it's alone, like this man was alone, and proclaim the glories of God to those who cannot see. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this work. We thank you for the truth of this passage. And I ask today, and I want to give people time today, that if you have not seen and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you've seen him as the man, maybe you've seen him as the prophet, but you need to take that step of faith today to say, no, he's more than a man. He's more than a prophet. He is Lord and believe in him. And if God has opened your eyes today and you're seeing him like that for the very first time, then would you pray to him and ask him to save your soul? Confess your sins to him. The things that you have done as you've run in contrary and rebelled against his word, his way, and ask him to forgive you. In the midst of maybe your suffering, you've doubted him. Would you come to him and say, I'm, I'm laying even my suffering at your feet, trusting in you that you will redeem, that you will ultimately remove that. And know that if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So Jesus would invite you, even through this passage, to come, to come believe and be saved. And for us as Christians, may we look to Jesus now with hope, a living hope, an encouragement of what Christ has done in the past, what he's doing in our lives now, but also with the hope of what is to come before us. May we look to that in great glory and great hope. Jesus, we thank you for that because of your death and your resurrection, we have hope even in the midst of our pain, even in our darkest moments. We love you and we thank you. Amen.